Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Sorry for the little hiatus. Turns out not everybody wants to openly talk about their traumas and things. Am I supposed to look up there? You're supposed to shut the fuck up. Oh, okay, it. sorry. Ruining my intro. Uh, so this week, uh, we're going to come back into it uh, with a little more of a lighthearted interview, but I'm very excited. Uh, she is best known for her roles in Parks and Rec, Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live alumni, and the critically acclaimed film Inside Out. Ladies and gentlemen, Amy Poehler. Yeah, it's so good to be with you. So what's Tina Fey like? Yeah, she's just like the coolest person ever. Do you guys go and get croissants with each other down in the village? She doesn't like croissants, so... Yeah, she's more of a bagel lady. That makes sense, actually. Does it? I think so. Yeah, she's a very cool person. <laughs> we eat a lot of bagels together, so. So, um. And she has kids. She does have kids. Yeah. Don't they both have kids? I do have kids, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a five-year-old. <laughs> What's their name? Mark. Mark. After Mark Hamill? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I heard you're a huge Star Wars fan, so that makes sense. Yes. I watch a lot of Star Wars. Rewatch them with Tina Fey. Ah. Yeah. D- are you a fan of The Mandalorian? Um, all right. I got to be done. I don't know what The Mandalorian <laughs> is. I don't um, even know. Star Wars. It's just, yeah, I was going to say. It's just a bunch of more Star Wars stuff. Um, so Lauren? Yes. Lauren, are you from Minnesota originally? Yep. I was born in Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah. Right by the river. You know that wow. place? Wow. Outs- like in the outside on that? No. that- <laughs> yeah, it was a natural birth down <laughs> by the river. <laughs> no. Is um, your dad Chris Farley? Is that what happened to his kid? No, that's the Chris Farley bit. Oh man, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 30, but I was sheltered as a child, so... I am so excited to hear about that. Yeah. So I'm unaware. I'm learning a lot, but I'm not good with famous people's names okay. or stories. So uh, so Farley was the one that did that bit on Saturday Night Live. Oh, I like, totally know what you're talking about. down yeah. by the river. Yeah, now I get it. You know what's really funny about that is <laughs> I actually have a picture that was an art form as my background of him, like, Going to the bathroom down by the river. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw it at a pizza place one time, and I took a picture of it and then put it as my screensaver. And you didn't get the reference? Yeah. Unfucking believable I, yeah. <sighs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm curious now, though, when you were saying, uh, like, a sheltered life, um, did you grow up with a religious family, or... Yeah, so my mom was raised Apostolic Lutheran, which wow. is yeah, it's a sort of a cult like situation, which I think any religion is, honestly. But yeah. that one was we weren't allowed to watch really any TV or movies, so I watched like The Sound of Music was my mom's favorite, so I did watch that. Okay. And the other two movies that we could watch were NHL All-Stars <laughs> and Miracle on Ice. So they're both hockey movies. So. so funny. Yeah. I don't understand how that worked out. Because for a long time, their church didn't let people play sports either. So Really? Yeah. 
but luckily we were of the generation that was allowed to. Or it started to change. Yeah. And I don't know if that was luck or not. In some ways, I feel like sports saved me a bit, but also prevented me from facing some problems. Well, imagine like if you would have grown up in like music and like theater kid groups versus like sports groups. I feel like there's a lot more uh, real world experience in that realm versus like theater kid realm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely wish I had been more exposed to the arts when I was younger, but it is what it is. Yeah. So do you have siblings? Yes, I do. I have two brothers, two sisters, and then two stepsisters. Oh, my. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of kids. <laughs> it's funny. Like, we actually have kind of a similar upbringing, um, not so much in the TV and sports realm, but I grew up Mormon. So, Oh, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit Mormon. Yeah? Yeah, because I don't, I don't really drink. I'm not a big fan of it. And then I stopped having caffeine like a year ago. No shit. So it's like I'm Mormon now. Well, it's funny you say that because the same principle, like how, uh, like after generations, certain things have changed. Yeah. The caffeine thing isn't as prevalent as it was before. Oh, really? Do you know why the caffeine thing happened? No. So, um, for whatever reason, I don't know if there's any actual science behind it, but they thought that drinking hot drinks too regularly was bad for your stomach. It's so funny. I know. So tea and coffee were like the only hot drinks going back in the day. It's kind of like how Jewish people and pigs, like pigs were really hard to uh, keep from getting nasty and uh, stuff like that. So pork would oftentimes make people really sick. That turned into a religious thing. Same thing with the Mormons. It just kept going. And somehow along the way, they were like, oh, is it the caffeine part of it? We're going to latch onto that part. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Like my dad used to hide. So funny. Like it was the way that somebody would, who would like have a drug addiction. Like I would find like a bottle of Starbucks iced coffee. No like, way. <laughs> in the laundry room. That's the thing that's so funny to me too is the people who are so hyper religious are the most hy- hypocritical. Yeah. Like my grandma would be like, Oh, did you see so and so drinking? But she was she is a closeted alcoholic, you know, like <laughs> in home bed drunk, you know. Yeah. So my dad, like, his thing was it was my mom who was very like ha- had more to do with that. Um, whereas my dad was like, he's just not a judgy guy. So okay. he d- he hid the thing, but he also was never like, Can you believe Oh, he, that's better. You know that's what a I mean? better way to be. He's just a good old-fashioned closeted act. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that that's the kind of upbringing that makes you creative, I think. For sure. Well, and that's the other funny thing is, like, my parents were huge into the arts. Cool. So, like, they, but being Mormon, like, there were, like, a lot of uh, um, barricades to, like, the stuff that they could do. Okay. So what ended up happening was my mom and these other individuals who were super religious started their own uh, little theater company called the Shoebox Theater. Cute. I feel like I've heard of that. Is that a thing or is it just a... Um, it started in Oregon. Okay. I don't know actually what happened to it. It's a good question. Okay. Maybe I've just heard of a similar theater name. But the ironic thing was, uh, so I went, like she indoctrinated myself and my younger brother immediately. 
which is fun because uh, we're insanely good at acting. So, um, but the ironic Are you thing, actually, um... no, that's why I crossed my eyes to be okay. A dork. So that was a cue I was supposed to read. That's okay. Okay. Are you on the spectrum? I'm not. <laughs> you don't have any tism. Sometimes I think that everyone has a little bit of it, but no, generally I'm really good at reading body language. Well, it's, and it's funny, like the spectrum, like it's funny that they say like it's so broad. Yeah. Without like realizing how like truly applicable that is to most people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could look at the symptoms and be like, yeah, I have some of those. Yeah. But like my ex was diagnosed autistic. and so. When I like line myself up against that, I'm like, oh, that's very different, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. But that's a weird thing to say, too, because again, the spectrum is like people can be so different on that. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, so my youngest brother is on the spectrum. Okay. And, uh, but it, but back to that theater thing. So religious people, yeah, start the theater company, shelter the kids. Um, the girl, have you ever seen Home Alone? Yeah. Or no, not Home Alone, uh, Homeward Bound. It's a Maybe. Movie, movie about dogs that go Probably. to find their owners because okay. they want a vacation, but they're like, fuck, they are out of here. Yeah. So there's a scene where they end up in the mountains of Oregon and um, they find this little girl who's lost. And that little girl was from my hometown in mm-hmm. St. Helens. And so I ended up, she, I don't know if her mom like forced her to do it or what, but wanted her to get back into acting. And uh, so trying to live out her unrealized dream <laughs> through her kid. Yeah. That girl got me to smoke a cigarette when I was like eight or seven. Oh, no. So the irony of being like, this is how we protect the kids. And I'm like, Mom, I'm smoking P-Funks out back now. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's funny. Well, maybe it's good I wasn't into theater then. Maybe. I mean, theater dr- kids are fucking horny. All right. Good to know. Yeah. I will say that athletes are big party people. Yeah. So I was a little bit of an oddball in that scene. People will be like, can you believe she's not drunk? And yet I would still be like dancing like an idiot. So. Really? Yeah. They would give you shit for, for not drinking? Um, Some people would give me shit. Most people didn't care. Yeah. They just couldn't believe that I could be comfortable with myself. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, most most kids have social anxiety, you know, especially high school. We're constantly worried about what people think about. I mean, you think about like how long people get ready for a party that's like eight hours away. Yeah. Like for at, prom you're talking about? Well, prom is a good example. But like in this town, I remember like the day that we knew somebody was having a party like at night. All we could think about all day long was Getting what are we going to wear? Like. How do we make sure that we don't look like dorks? Who's going to be there that could possibly make us look like dorks? Like, just a whole fucking thing. Yeah, I think I was lucky enough that my home life was too chaotic that I couldn't really worry about that. I was worried about like, oh, I wonder where I'm going to sleep tonight. Or like, is my mom okay today? So my mind was just focused on other things. And then when I go to that, I didn't, I just didn't, I was a very anxious kid and I still am pretty anxious, but. I think that my anxiety was just in a different area than your average kids, you know? Yeah. So that's interesting. Okay. So do you remember like when you realized or started to get embarrassed about religion? 
like about your your parents' faith or things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sort of makes sense. I guess I never was really. I'll give embarrassed you an example. Yeah. So I went to a youth group where it was like a non-denominational thing. So they were just trying to get kids to get their shit together. Yeah. Um, and I went and I was talking with somebody and I said something that the Mormons believe, which is that we were uh, all angels first and then we chose to come down here. Yeah. So I said something to the effect of like... I did not know the Mormons believe that. Oh. What a fun thing to think though. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I'm like, do you ever think about how you know, when we were angels up in heaven and this girl goes, what are you talking about? I was like, um, she's like, that's not how it works. I was like, oh, yeah. Well, what else does my church think? And then I, so like people, when, once people started to find out about me being Mormon, all of the fucking stereotypes and shit. So I was like, God damn it. I guess. Yeah. Started popping up. This in religion face. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny for me. Cause I was always a kid that did what I was told. So if my parents told me to do something or like a religious leader was like, do this, then I did. That's probably how all the kids get sexually abused. <laughs> I just thought about that as I was saying that, but luckily that never <laughs> happened to me. I just feel very lucky. Well, did you black out at any point? Well, okay. When I was little, very little, I would hold my breath and pass out and have a seizure. Really? And my mom said, she's like, yeah, that's lucky that you did that because no one could hurt you. And I was like, that doesn't really add up. <laughs> that's a terrible story. I'm sorry. No, that's uh, th like I was saying, like this show is normally like diving into like the traumas of, of people's pasts. And so I don't know how much of Rudy's episode you watch, but like, yeah, I watch a good chunk of it. That's so recovering addict myself, mm -hmm. been through a lot of shit and all of the things that I've been through allow me to relate at least to some degree to a lot of things that people have been through. So I try to make this space feel like a safe place to open up about those things and hopefully to make other people who listen feel less alone and, and less, you know, because oh, there's so much shame based in America. Yeah. And especially when it comes to like uh, how females are viewed in society, like, they're supposed to be more put together than men. They're they're cleaner. They're all these things. But the amount of trauma that is, I think, more common with females, having to have like this facade on a, a, a physical level or appearance wise on top of all that shit, like somebody just got raped last night. They're still going to put on all this makeup and shit tomorrow. And it's like, fuck, man, it's <laughs> horrifying. It is. It's sad. So yeah, so I try to like, I look like this because that's kind of how my life has been. Crocs with socks, tattoos, missing teeth. I'm just a fucking mess. That's good. I don't like people <laughs> who are like, I'm all put together. You know, like that's not a fun person. I don't know. So I think that's a cool thing. I think that that is the best thing you can do. That's part of why I like stand up is because I can talk about my crazy life and show people like you can laugh at it and you're not alone. So yeah, that's very cool. That's I'm happy that you do this podcast too for that reason. So where do you land in age with your siblings? I'm the second oldest. Okay. So I have a sister who's two years older, but in a lot of instances I felt like the oldest because I was the one who ended up taking care of my mom 
when no one else was really taking care of her. So, well, let's before we dive into that. So, yeah. growing up, like, did you have siblings that were more into the church than than you were? Does that uh, makes sense because, like, yeah. I have two brothers who are still devout Mormon, whereas they are now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas three of us are not at all. Yeah. So. Most of my siblings are not. My older sister married a Catholic person, so she just kind of adopted that faith. And she's okay. definitely more Christian. I believe in God. I think abortion's wrong. I can't believe you had an abortion, Lauren. Dave. It's got to be tough being 32 and wrong all the time. Yeah, for her? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I don't feel trapped in that kind of thinking. Or Yeah. I'm not a good faker is what the problem is. And so if someone directly asks me, I'll be like, no, I'm not a Christian. Mm. I don't believe what you believe. So I I definitely don't affiliate myself with that at all anymore. I would say I'm agnostic. And then my other siblings, my brother right below me, I actually haven't had a good conversation with him because we were alienated from each other for a long time because of my parents' divorce. So I'm curious what he thinks. But he's pretty... He's not overly religious or like going to church every Sunday. He'll go on the big holidays, but that's sure. pretty much it. And then, do you want to, should I go through everybody? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> my uh, other brother and my youngest sister, I would say my youngest sister is pretty spiritual, but not religious. Sure. My brother, I again need to dig into that a little bit more, but he's he likes the Buddhist philosophy. So. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so none of us are really aggressive. It's funny how face. many atheists adopt like the not necessarily the belief system, but a lot of the practices because yeah. it's so good for your mental health. Yeah, or it can be, I should say. Yeah, I like how you don't need to focus on a god to do their meditation practices, mm-hmm. whereas with other religions, it's like you're praying to a god who needs you to do this this and this or live this way yeah so when did you start to notice that there was more responsibility being pushed onto you or did it just always feel like that yeah i would say it was pretty early on for me and i realized it a lot more when my parents separated because i think my dad was taking that responsibility and then when my parents split my mom kind of put a lot of the responsibility onto me so Mm. i was hearing a lot of the adult issues that were happening and trying to keep her calm and comfortable and and then so how old were you when when they split middle school okay and then after i graduated from high school even in high school i was still leaving school to try to take care of her whenever she would need to get away because she needed a new place to live or This is a hard place to jump in because it's such a complicated story. But my parents divorced and then they had fought over custody. Oh, no. Yeah. And so would they like pit you guys against each other or not against each other, but like talking shit about dad or talking shit about mom? Yeah, there was a lot of that. But in my family's case, there we did see a little bit of domestic violence. Like my dad hurt my mom. And it wasn't extreme, but still, as a child, you understand, you can see that and you understand, like, oh, that's totally wrong. So I didn't want much to do with my dad for a long time. 
And then, yeah, they kind of split us apart because the social, social, how oh, can I say that? Social workers you got were it. trying to, <laughs> I don't know why I'm, blah, blah, blah. it's like trying to say Mark Waller, Bullerg or whatever. Yeah. They were trying to keep us away from my mom because she has a very severe mental illness, but I couldn't understand that as a kid. All I could understand was, oh my gosh, why are they keeping me away from my mom? I love. So it's it kept complicated. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you know what her diagnosis is now? So unfortunately she's gotten out of most of her psychological exams. She's, uh, she's very smart and we think that it's schizoaffective disorder. Oh, okay. So if she gets emotional, then she kind of goes off the deep end. So it's kind of somewhere in between like or bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Yeah. I was going to say like bipolar, schizophrenic, like they're so, because if you have a severe enough manic episode, it can uh, showcase as like a schizophrenic episode. Yeah. So, yeah. She's very paranoid and was always worried that someone was doing something to us. And we, so I went from living in a $1.6 million house with my parents. Holy shit. Yeah. They divorced. Then my mom got a job right away. We moved into another nice home with her and things just kept getting worse and worse. And as I look back on it now, I think that she probably had addiction issues to like maybe a prescription combo. And did she lean on prescriptions? Like, would she say, like, I just need to take this or she would never say it, but she was uh, she was on like ADHD and sleep meds and depression meds. And I think that she used to be an RN and then worked at the clinic of neurology. Oh, wow. So she just had access to a lot of things and all of her behavior kind of lines up with that. And then as I look back on it now. I realized that most of her friends were also addicts, so okay, it just kind of lines up. Yeah. But she would get a good job and then start fighting with whoever her employer was and get fired. And then, yeah, they she hasn't been able to hold the job down for a number of years now. But she did work for a few years after they separated, and that was relatively calm, but they were still fighting so much. So, yes. So, I mean, that's... So fascinating to to be going through that. And she worked in neurology, you said? Yeah. She worked at the MS Clinic of Neurology shortly after this. Oh, okay. Her. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but I mean, the so with all of the shit that so I have um I'm hypomanic or I have hypomania, um, which is like just a sliver away from being bipolar. It's basically mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. Um ADHD, massive depressive disorder, all these things. Um, but I didn't like get properly diagnosed with shit until I was 32. Mm -hmm. So it was just a lot of struggle. And then as I started to learn more about how these things really work, like ADHD um, can be, like if it's severe enough, can be very similar to bipolar disorder. Yeah. Um, like the you know, being willing to do things at the drop of a hat um, just because somebody suggested it and it's like not the norm. So you're like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, spending, uh, impulsive, you know, type of spending and things like that. Very common with bipolar. Um, but with the, the schizophrenia stuff, it's, it's such a sensitive thing because they try so hard to keep 
the diagnosis away from that. Yeah. Um, because there isn't like one solid fix for it because you have to do so much work. Yeah. With medication and behavioral stuff that like it's a, a long shitty road to go down. Yeah. And I think that's the unfortunate part for her is she has always had someone who's kind of buoyed her that's kind of prevented her from getting to a place where she'll get the help that she needs. Yeah. And that's what I was doing for a long time after I graduated from college because I guess I didn't finish my train of thought. But oh, yeah, yeah I went from like the really wealthy lifestyle to being homeless with my mom because she couldn't keep a job and we just had all this instability. But I I felt like it was the right thing to do to take care of her. So I... So why haven't you written a book? <laughs> You're not the only one who's asked me that. They're like, this should be a movie. <laughs> you have if- such a level-headed way of processing. Well, I mean, appearance-wise. Yeah. You've certainly gone through traumatic things. Um, but I, I do want to hear more about this, but then I want to jump into you more. Yeah. Um, but did you notice... So my friend who has uh, bipolar 1, I forget how the severities work. I always get them mixed up, but... Um, his, uh, he describes as relationships. It's very much fuck you. Don't leave me. Yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. You never know if you're going to be on the good side or the bad side. Anytime you see her, so you could be the worst enemy or her most adored friend within a matter of moments. So was it just you and her then for a good chunk of time? My younger sister was always trying to be with her as well because we both, I mean, it's your mom. You don't understand yeah. as a kid. You just want to be with your mom and you can't, how can someone take you away from your mom is all you think. And the fact that we saw our dad hurt our mom. Yeah. It was very easy for her to magnify that in our mind and be like, you should have nothing to do with him because of this. And it took me so many years to realize no one is the worst thing that they do. And because wow. he did do that, and I, I also had to come to a place where I was like, maybe he will never admit to doing that because his whole life is built on this self-concept. So mm. when I finally got to that place, I, I was like, OK, now I can have some sort of relationship with him. It's a bummer when people who have done shitty things, they want to move forward and be better. Yeah. Um. But it's not fair to those who like were at ground zero. You know what I mean? I gave up on fairness because I was like, that doesn't help me in any way That's to, true. to expect him to say I'm sorry for doing that to you. You know, it's like maybe what our relationship would probably be deeper and That's what I was going to say was like, are you, is this now just a family member or is it dad? It's definitely more dad to me, but okay. it's like. It's not what I hoped it would be. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. So there was some disappointment for me mm-hmm. when I did approach him after not seeing him for almost 15 years. Because I, I hoped that he would be in a place where he could acknowledge that. But I'd also let go of the idea that he ever would before I even went to him. So That's such, I mean, it's such a huge thing to be able to do. Like, I give you all of the credit in the whole wide world because that's so tough to go through that shit 
and not hold that resentment? Like, so did you find like growing up, did you like hold grudges or anything like that? You know what I mean? Like if a friend, you know, wronged you, were you like, all right, you're dead to me? Well, I think that was almost a flaw of mine where I would not hold grudges. It was like a sort of a boundary issue where I would be so forgiving Mm. to people. Like with my mom, she would hurt me over and over and I would be like, oh, but she loves me, you know, to that degree. But then on the other hand, with my dad, I locked him out for a lot of years. So it's hard to say. I think I did a little bit of both. This is weird. It's like getting me emotional, but (laughs) because... I, I've I've talked with so many people who've been through so much and I have codependency issues as well. So when yeah. I am like made aware of like a good person being wronged and so like an issue with codependency is that white knight syndrome where it's like, I'm the only one that's going to be able to save this person. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So I've had to grow out of that, but like it still hits me when I hear shit like that because I know like, fairness is just a concept doesn't it's not an actual like an absolute law or anything yeah but fuck it's it's tough to like want for for people to have more because you feel that they deserve it and deserve is another word that's like what does anybody like actually deserve but it's a weird thing to think about if you really dive into it (laughs) um but so I think it's tough for people like me to process that there's another way of like coming to terms with things in your life and being able to move forward yeah. other than making that fucking person confront the thing that they did. And so yeah. that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yep. I never thought I would get to that place. I think I started evaluating myself like, hey, I've done wrong, you know, but if I'm going to love myself, I think I have to give that to other people, too. And I think that sort of thinking is what contributed to it. So were you in high school still when you had lost your home? I was actually in middle school when they separated and we that. Oh, I mean, like your mom, you said when we became homeless. Yes. Yeah, I was. I remember it so clearly because I just won a cross country meet. I think it was our conference meet. Oh, wow. I just won it. And I was so excited. And I ran up and and like and hugged my mom. And she was like, congratulations, honey. We're homeless in one line. (sighs) And I was like, oh, what do I do with that information? And. Um, I was too excited. I think I was just on a runner's high. So I just like had a good night. And I remember I just went to our volleyball game or something and decided I was going to collect hugs. So I was just making a lot of people laugh. And I think that's been my response to difficult situations in a lot of cases. Yeah. And then we just slept in the car that night. Wow. (sighs) So heavy. But so it's just you two at that point? At that point it was, yeah. Okay. Because the court had taken my younger siblings and given them to my dad. My older sister was 
pretty much out of the picture. My mom had kind of kicked her out or something and mm-hmm. got into a fight. So, so then the, that part is always interesting to me. Like when courts will split kids up, like they say, you know, parents aren't able to take care of these kids, but this one's fine. Yeah. Have you heard of it happening before? Yeah. Okay. It's not supposed to be legally allowed. And in retrospect, for me, that is the biggest mistake the court made because then we're all questioning whether we made the right choice. And we're children. We don't have the mental capacity to make the right choice. So, yeah. And my dad feels really bad about that. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. But the court, the guardians were telling me that if I took custody of you as well, I wouldn't be able to parent the younger kids as well. And I was like, that doesn't seem like what? a valid reason, you know? That's fucking, oh, it makes me so mad. Yeah. Things are getting better, which is rad. Like on the social, like met and talked with a lot of social workers and, and, and people like that. and. Things are not what they used to be. There was a lot of like old guard, like for some reason wanting, they do still want to keep the kids with the parents as much as possible, but it's also big picture, like way easier for them to be like, but we can't, can't let this happen. No, like, um, no mulligans or like I don't I don't know how to describe you it. Want but like people getting killed is basically yeah yeah. Well, and but the the long lasting effects of like it's incredible that you are who you are right now because there are people who go through that and then are like okay so then I'm gonna end up homeless at some point and this like just you know it's a cycle yeah yeah I have someone I have to go to the bathroom again I'm sorry oh yeah so no, go ahead pause it. Just record it. And we're back with Tiffany Haddish and her niece. Yes, thank you. (laughs) So good to be here. Um, okay, so yeah, so with that whole I mean, the the weight that's put on somebody who is as forgiving as you are, um, plus you're you're looking at the person who gave you life, the amount of um, responsibility that you feel has got to be wild. Yeah, it was intense. I I think there was so much guilt. And part of that was wrapped up into the religion thing, too. Oh, really? Where, yeah, because the honor your mother and your father. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. She used that for a while to manipulate me. But then when I realized that that was... um, not real. <laughs> I started to question a lot of it. Yeah. So. I mean, okay. So, so you slept in your car that, that first night. What was the, the sleeping situation like on a nightly basis? Were you guys going to family or? Yeah. So our typical pattern was we'd stay with someone as long as we could avoid a fight between her and whoever we were staying with. Mm. So generally, I would try to keep people calm because, I mean, the kind of person that was going to take her in was also a little bit crazy, you know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And even if they weren't, because my mom was so difficult to be around, eventually they would hit their limit and be like, off you go, you guys. Wow. Yeah. 
So, I mean, there there were certain points in high school where she would be able to book a hotel because of me, and she was getting some child support from my dad. So okay. we were kind of living off of that. And then we stayed with my grandparents, aunts. One time we stayed with a witch, which I don't know how she found her. Like a her. Wiccan? Uh, maybe Wiccan. She was a hoarder and oh, okay. ran some sort of Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> group. <laughs> So, you know, I got a lot of life experience very quickly, thanks to my mom. And her general approach now, I mean, after college, she basically moved in with me. And That's what I was going to ask. So, yeah. um, like, applying for colleges, um, as, like, shitty as it sounds, like, with your situation, did you have to pay for college? So, this is really funny. I was appointed to West Point, and... If I had taken that, that would have been a full ride. But I somehow in the middle of that was able to say no. And I'm so glad I did because I would have been a terrible fit for West Point. <laughs> yeah. I, I went out on the visit and I got kind of freaked out by all them guys popping in and being like, we heard a recruit was here. And I was like, uh. yeah, scared me. So I got lucky there. And then because I ran at a high level, I was recruited to run in college. So I was being recruited by schools while we were homeless, basically. And when I got the first letter, I was like, I didn't know you could run in college. I was just totally unaware. Oh, okay. And then um, after saying no to West Point, I decided to walk on to North Dakota State. But he was able to get me some scholarship that first year. Okay. And then I was getting a mix of scholarships and loans, and I transferred to so many schools. Because I think at that age, I was like trying to figure out the answer to my mental problems and you know if you move when you're young you think that that's the cure of course and I was also torn between wanting to get away from what was going on with my mom and dad because they were still going to court all the time and she was in and out of jail and I was like the only one who really would help her so 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 when you're in college you are separated from your mom at, at some points? At some points, yeah. So I would be away from her. And then, like, my sophomore year, she kidnapped my younger sister. Well, which is, it's weird to call it a kidnapping. but I know. Because my sister also sort of ran away. But really, with what was going on, it was a kidnapping because she just wasn't supposed to have her. So. Yeah. Yeah, but, but that happened. And then she picked me up from school <laughs> at that time. Because I think she knew if she went to jail and then Annalise went into protective services. Oh. That's my younger sister. That that I would be the only one who would be able to do anything. Which was the case. I like went and met with lawyers and was hopping around on people's couches and trying to drive a stick shift when I didn't know how to. (laughs) I think I destroyed someone's car. (laughs) So bad. So this was with your sister or did your sister end up going? No. So my sister went, cause on, on that trip we, there were more than one trip because <laughs> like when I was younger, that she also kind of kidnapped me and we went to Europe. So I was delinquent from school for a while, but this is the second round of it. When I was in college, we were going to go to Canada to get some sort of refugee protection there. Oh yeah. That really only applies to, sorry. Keep going. Really only applies to what? <laughs> well, I mean, like, the, the scenario that you have to be in for that to stick, I think, has to be pretty extreme. Yeah. Yeah. It actually was granted. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. But the reason why she didn't stay, I think, is because we, we didn't not we didn't have a support system in Canada. And oh, okay, hold on. Let's rewind a little bit. Okay. Europe. How did that happen? So when I was in high school, her parents were always very supportive of her crazy ideas. Like they would fight, but then they would also be like, you're right. And I think that was to her disadvantage for sure. Yeah. But they paid for us to go to Europe. And my mom was saying that her intention was to get this legal case overturned and see some authority in Europe. But... It really seemed like she read E Pray Love and then wanted to go <laughs> have her own adventure. So how long were you guys in Europe for? Um, I think maybe two months. Maybe three. Two or three. Okay. Yeah. And what, we just what kinda, part of Europe did you end up in? We really bounced around. I have an aunt in Germany and we stayed with her for a little bit, but we were at hostels in France, Italy, Switzerland. You're so were were you finding in these scenarios, like, are you being exposed more to adults than you are uh, other kids your age? Oh, yeah. I didn't see anyone my age, really. Yeah. So that's got to be a mind fuck. Like, you, you've taken on responsibility and you're able to hold court with people who are much older than you. Yeah. It gives this sense of maturity when you no one's given you the opportunity to deal with the shit that you've been through yeah so it like i've I've found that like people who have gone through that like it's way easier to stuff things down and just be like and then you know 10 years down the line they're like oh i wake up screaming like three times yeah i was so traumatized (laughs) it's i think a protective denial to some extent because i could look at a list of psychological abuse when i was younger and say Oh, that's really sad, but doesn't apply to me. And within even the last few years, I would pull up a list and be like, oh my gosh, this is why they were trying to take me away from her. Because now it would say, I would look at a list of 25 and it would say, if you have seven of these, your living situation isn't good. And I would get up to 20. And I was like, oh, that is really bad. Wow. Because social services did say it was one of the most extreme cases they'd seen, is what they would tell my dad. So, But they still let you stay with her? Yeah, I don't know if it was a matter matter of letting me. It was more me being stubborn. But yeah, it, to some extent it was because they're the say, authority. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so it's, again, a mistake on their end. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, obviously you hate to take a kid kicking and screaming in any situation but like the long the yeah i i always think of so there's a lot of people who will come on here and be like my parents did the best that they could it wasn't their fault and this and that it's like as a parent i represent them and say it's not on you or any kid to have to like make excuses for what we did yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my son saw me passed out in my bed with uh paramedics and police around and it's like in no way is it on him to forgive me for that. Yeah. I'm the parent, so whatever I need to do to be there for him is what I should be doing. So yeah. if that means like he wants space or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? So like all of the shit that I've done 
I hope that my kids don't feel a responsibility to make excuses for that shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think they won't because you have that mentality. I hope so. Because I think for a long time I did hide it because my parents were ashamed of it uh, with obvious reasons, yeah. you know. And I I mean my dad doesn't like that I do stand up. My mom didn't like it either because my, like my dad even a couple of days ago was like, yeah, a lot of people who do stand up have really bad mental problems. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, dad, but if I quit, it's not going to make the mental problems go away. It's just going to mean that less people know that I have them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's so funny. Yeah, it it is funny like the 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 type of I mean, it's trauma bonding. Like yeah. I feel like most comics at least the ones that I've met have some form of like depression or anxiety on the low end. Right. Yeah. A lot of them have been through much more. And when we get together, it's this like, can you believe we fucking made it out of this situation? Like, yeah. And now we're telling jokes for three to five minutes in front of people. Like it's, it's hopefully nuts. more than that. <laughs> uh, but in in the sense that like in the beginning, right? Like we all meet each other and we're like, holy shit, I've been through this. Holy shit, I've been through that. And you hear somebody's joke and you're like, how much of that is true? Like, yeah. All of it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't really have to write jokes because my life is that crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, but like it creates this, this community um, that, and not to like deter from what we're talking about right now, but like, I feel like it kind of lends in a way to what you were going through before when you have these, like it's, it's so easy to connect with a comic really quickly based on certain, you know, uh, the type of humor that you have or the writing styles. Um, it usually shows a lot right away. So connecting with them is usually pretty easy. So after a year of doing that with so many comics it's like you feel like it's a pretty strong community so when one of them lets you down it's such a fucking bummer yeah and well i think we're all such sensitive people Ooh. and i think that's why it is such a bummer because you're like hey i thought you were like me how could you let me down that way you know <laughs> yeah the more i talk to comics about it the more i feel like we're all experiencing the same thing of like Maybe feeling like, oh, why didn't I get booked on that show? Oh. Or like, why am I excluded for this? Or like, yeah, why did someone let me down when I felt like they understood me or something? Yeah. So I think it's the sensitivity. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because we all, I mean, we'll all like self-deprecating. We all do it. Yeah. And we'll shit on ourselves. But then, like you're saying, like we miss out on a lineup and it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I thought they loved me. <laughs> but. I, I more mean like in the, like when you, you make friends, right? Yeah. And, and they do something shitty outside of the the industry or like. Oh, I see what you're saying. Something yeah. that has nothing to do with comedy. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, I wanted to feel safe with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you learn that they're shitty to somebody else or that, you know, unfortunately over the last three years, there's been a lot of like fucking madness that's been going on. Yeah. Which, by the way, how long have you been doing stand-up? Just over two years. Okay. Oh, yeah. so you skirted, like, <laughs> about three years ago, there was a, a handful of, of 
jabronis that had to, I mean, luckily, like, they're not touring around or, like, in in the Minnesota circuit anymore, but. Yeah. Fuck, man. Yeah, that's such an interesting thing to me because I have experienced a little bit of it with the male comics, and I don't think that the canceling thing is working. I wish that we had a better solution for it because that's a similar thing to where, yeah, they did something wrong or maybe a bunch of things wrong, but is it the best solution to fully remove them? I don't know. Like maybe some other, like I think there should be a consequence for sure. Yeah. And some way to prevent it from happening to other people or like limiting the control they have over whatever show they're running or room they're running. Maybe someone else should be booking it if they don't have the ability to not manipulate manipulate people yeah, sexually yeah. um but i don't think that completely moving them off the scene is the answer i think that there's a, a way to make an even better community because otherwise because we've comics have been through so much you're gonna have a new person who's similar walk into that same spot and then you're in the same cycle of the same issue without a, a real solution i'm so glad i say that all the time like it's a it's therapy without resolution yeah. Like there's no, nothing's actually being fixed. We're just like in, in some scenarios, people are being elevated while they're expressing the shit that they've been through, but haven't done anything to try to better themselves or uh, resolve like the, uh, the trauma or what have you like that they've been through. And then they get elevated to a certain point and they're like, I guess I'm fucking awesome. And like the ego takes over and the aspects that they should have been fixing don't get resolved. And you have somebody like Chris D'Elia who like should have been working on, it's ironic. Like, I don't know how much you know about his situation, but the guy. Just the broad overview. So his whole, or part of his shtick was like that he's never done drugs, never done alcohol. So like the assumption that there's no addiction issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like having zero understanding of um, you can be a, a sex addict. You can be an ego addict. Like I met drug dealers who were like doing the deal was what I was addicted to, like getting the high from getting yeah. away with some illegal shit. I would say the same thing about running. Or mm. You could even do it with relationships. Pick your poison. Basically, it's like I would not deal with issues in front of me or confront people who are hurting me because I would just go for a run and be like, I feel better. Interesting. Yeah. So I relate to addicts on so many levels. And I think that if I had picked up a drug, I would be very addicted. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the reason why my addiction got so out of control was like the lack of understanding that my parents had of mental health issues growing up. Mm -hmm. And so I just was constantly like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah. And so drugs would either, I mean, it. initially, yeah, like get help get rid of it and just change my mental state. Allow me to be anyone other than me right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the same thing with standup. Like when you're on stage, even people who have social anxieties and things like that. Like when you're able to command that room, you're able to be anyone other than yourself. because. Even though it is you, it's you behind a mic. So you have like uh, a, a coordinated dance almost yeah. that you're doing for people. 
And so it's like, look at this. Don't actually look at me. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's cool to hear you say that because my ultimate goal with stand up is to be as real as I can on stage. So it's like what you, what you're working towards, I think, at least in my mind, what I'm working towards. And it's like how to make people laugh in everyday situations. And I want to bring that on stage. And obviously it's always going to be heightened. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be the art form that it is if it wasn't. But Have you heard of Jessime Peluso? Yeah. So dope. And reminds me kind of like of how you're talking. Like she talks about some heavy shit. On stage? On stage and like when she does podcasts and stuff. And she's just all around dope human being. But... um. So how do you go from like all of these things, all of these really, because it demands so much of your attention to go through that shit while you're growing up, (laughs) trying to figure out a career path, where you're going to live geographically. I mean, there's so much to deal with. How do you end up doing standup? Like, how do you, how do you mentally find time for that? Yeah, I think... Stand-up finally has been one of those things where I feel like I was the only one making the choice to do it, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Because, like I was explaining earlier, I was very much do what I'm told to do. So I excelled in school and athletics. I was like All-American, 4.0 GPA. Holy like shit. I was like top of my class. And that's the other reason why it was confusing for social workers to look at this case and say, She's obviously doing well, you know? <laughs> and I, again, I was like, how I felt like my dad was trying to pull me away from my mom to make himself look better. So my, it was everything just got twisted. But yeah, so that was all me doing what I was told to do. And I feel like I finally got to a point where it's like, what do I actually want to do with my life and what's fun for me? And a few years after I graduated, I tried improv. Oh. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I stepped into comedy. But even how did you, wait, 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 wait. How did you even come to that conclusion, though? Like, what, what, who motivated you, like, visually? Like, were you a big Saturday Night Live fan? I or? Saying. Yeah. Okay. So when I was probably high school, I started to get so into man TV. Oh. <sighs> Yeah, that was like my favorite thing and like Laurel and Hardy and Oh wow. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who else I would watch. I don't know, just goofy fun. Like whose line is it anyway? And a little bit of that, not too much. <laughs> I I was always a class clown though. As weird as that sounds, because I don't think normally the In this room doesn't sound weird at all. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying like being like a, a top student and athlete, normally it's like you would expect more. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't expect that combination. But I, I hear more and more that good stand-ups have been athletes because of the discipline you get from yeah. athletics. So you're just very driven in that way. And uh, that right- so maybe it's less uncommon that I think. <laughs> I But the the difference being like taking that step. Because a lot of people learn that discipline and having a regimen and a schedule and shit like that. And they apply it to uh, having a job, which will allow me to pay rent, which will allow me to, you know, all the shit. Yeah. Whereas like with you to for it to make sense to be like, oh, so I should just go be hilarious. No. So it wasn't a straight <laughs> path. 
And that's where it gets interesting because I think when I graduated, I was like, all right, now I'll get a job. And I couldn't because I was taking care of my mom. I I fell into working at a running store and just kept competing because that's what I knew. And I couldn't wrap my head around doing anything beyond working that job that just walked into my lap and taking care of her. So it was just like I was working two full-time jobs basically trying to do that and train on top of it. So I had a running sponsorship, just a low-level one for a little while after graduating. And then, yeah, I think I started exploring more what I actually wanted to do because a lot of those typical pathways were just kind of not opening for me. I tried to get some jobs, but I didn't try the correct way. And I just didn't have enough money to be able to do that. Because you need to be stable and, I don't know, present yourself well if you want to go into the corporate world. You can't (laughs) just like show up from a campsite and be like, all right, hire me. So not that we were living at a campsite. That's a different story. I mean, would you stay at campsites from time to time? After I quit that job, the running store job, we ended up homeless again because I was so overwhelmed. And that's, I was like, okay, my people I work with suck. They're awful to me. And I come home and my mom's awful to me. Something has to go. So I got rid of my job, which wasn't the thing that should have gone. (laughs) But it took me to a place low enough that I started to be like, okay, what's going on? And I realized it was me trying to take care of my mom i wasn't getting her anywhere she needed to be i was just holding her back from letting her get to a place where she would be able to make a change so i finally started i actually started writing every day and that's really what made me change directions because i I, it gets tiring to write the same problem over and over finally you're like okay i'm gonna do something different you know you're like how many mornings am I going to wake up and say my mom was abusive to me last night? You know, so I finally was like, okay, we got to go our separate ways. And then as I was getting distance from her, I was starting to dip my toes into comedy at the same time. So. Whew. So when you say writing. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No, you're empathetic. That's good. My eyes are sweating. I've, I've just, <laughs> the reason I am not crying is because I've talked about it a lot, you know? If we hit something that I haven't processed very well, I'll probably cry too, you know? The thing that keeps running through my mind is the the maddening feeling of being with somebody that you love so much and wanting to just shake them and say, just be okay. Yeah. I just want to be able to walk away and know for the next six hours that something awful isn't going to happen to you. Yeah. And to put on top of that, that it's, it's not just someone you care about. It's your fucking mom. Yeah. Like your parents to, to so for so long to have that switch flipped and to just want them to want (laughs) for themselves, what they want for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they want you to be successful. They want you to be happy. Um, but in situations like your mom, like I'm sure it's I'm I'm curious as to like the t- the conversations because I'm assuming there's a lot of like 
I'm never going to be stable or I'm never, nothing's ever going to happen for me because the world's against me. With my mom? Yeah. 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 The victim mentality was definitely her well, go-to. Plus when you have bipolar and potential of, of schizophrenia, like it, it doesn't, it's, it's not like a pity party type mm-hmm. of like the world's against me. It genuinely feels like there's a force that you can't see mm-hmm. that is just looming all the fucking time. Yeah. And God damn it. You just wish that, that like, like it's funny because with you, how great you seem <laughs> like it's just an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the the mentality that you or the outlook that you have on life is so wonderful for where it came from. So, well, you, I have to give some credit to my parents too because as much difficult things that they pulled me through, they did give me some really good things. Because my mom, as much as she struggled, she was always into self help and positive psychology and all that research. And had she not been into that, I may never have been exposed to it or been interested in trying to make myself better. So, so you've said that a few times. What what is it like? What was it that you like? Do you have depression or oh, like what is my diagnosis? Yeah, it's uh, complex PTSD and generalized anxiety disorder. Okay, yeah. I mean that makes, but how fucked up is that? That like. (laughs) <laughs> one of the the um cornerstones of your PTSD is also the person that's like navigating you towards bettering yourself like yeah that's why it got so confusing and it took me so long to unravel because i did get a lot of good things from her because i think bipolar is unique in that you can see really unlimited views of the world too so that is a huge blessing in that I learned to see bigger visions of what I could do with my life than someone who maybe doesn't have that mental experience, you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, generalized anxiety, how long did you live with that before coming up with some type of solution? Or a solution? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because diagnosis doesn't mean that you start fixing the problem. Yeah, it was honestly... I wasn't even diagnosed until more recently within the last five years. And I would say the solutions have been slow coming. I haven't, (laughs) I haven't ever been on pharmaceuticals, but it's been like dropping caffeine, getting regular therapy and just, it sounds so dumb, but making sure I sleep enough, eat enough because it's like, it sounds dumb because it seems so obvious. Yeah. It's, Simple, but not easy, you know, (laughs) like I have to sometimes set an alarm to remember to eat because of what I've been through. So that's interesting. It's very weird. Like my treatment is unusual. So with, and I was curious about that too, because with running, um, obviously there's a a danger of overdoing it and Mm -hmm. like, were you calorie counting and things like that? Yeah, I never did calorie count and... I would work out so much, obviously, to get to that fitness level. You have to. But I feel so lucky that I didn't fall into an eating disorder. That's another thing that's kind of on a spectrum, too, though. So maybe I was, like, dipping my toes into that Mm -hmm. category. But I would say, from my perspective, 
there were time periods where my mom wouldn't feed me like enough. So I would go hungry for phases. And so maybe that is an eating disorder where I just learned to like ignore the hunger or like oh. not pay attention to it. But it was more. I'd tie that more to PTSD though. Yeah. That's what other therapists would say too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I get. But how do you really separate that? You're so forgiving in that sense that like, that's another way of being like, it's not entirely on her. Maybe I adapted something, even though like it would be considered a disorder. It's still you taking ownership of a thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So like. I think you have to, otherwise you're a victim, (laughs) you know? But the, okay. So like, would you ever make someone feel bad for being a victim? No. Or like tell them to get over it? No. Okay. No, because... You're a very strong person who has been victimized a lot in a genuine sense. Yeah. So like, let it let it be heavy. Let it be a real thing that... It's fantastic that you're big, strong, black woman who don't need no man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But <clears throat> like I try to I try to evoke that too is like it's okay to let that shit be as heavy as it sounds. Because you're comforting me and listeners by saying, but I've done this and this and this and ah, it's not that big a deal. Like you know what I mean? I just want to make sure that like Yeah, you're, I'm you're not validated. A, yeah, thank you. I don't even do that intentionally. I think most it's, people don't. I think it's a little bit self-protective because if you start to think it's too much or it's super traumatic, then you just go into this terrible mental place, which I think you need to go to. And I think I did or I have and I do mm. go there when I it feels like the right time for me. So I don't avoid it. If oh, makes OK. Sense. OK. So I'll and I do. Have you heard of EMDR? I was just going to say that. Yeah. So. I haven't had a lot of success with traditional therapy, but EMDR has moved me beyond a lot of these traumatic memories in a way I could never imagine. It's so interesting. Like that's, it's always one of two things when I talk to people who've been through EMDR, it's like, it was a fucking nightmare or like, it's the only thing that I can do that works. Yeah. Like it's never like in the middle of like, Oh, it was okay. Who said, I want to know who said it was a nightmare. That's so interesting to me. I could see though if you're the way your brain works, it just would just traumatize you more if you yeah. weren't ready for that experience. So, would you mind explaining like kind of how it worked for you? Sure, like the, yeah. The process. So, I'd done therapy for a while, and then I started reading on about the mind body connection and how that could help. And therapy sometimes would bother me because as a child I was really averse to it because I felt like the therapists were telling me your mom's bad oh so then I just had that mental block to it I just didn't like the idea of going to talk to someone who was going to tell me how to think so then when I found EMDR it was so great because it was my mind doing the desensitization to all these traumatic memories and helping me connect my current behaviors to things that had happened in the past so that I could change those behaviors. So <clears throat> is the the process like we're going here now and like they have you explain the situation? So there are multiple ways you can do it. You can take 
uh, memory that you have that's a really strong, disturbing memory and start from there. Just really get mentally into that moment. Or you can take a current trauma that's coming up and mm. work backwards. Oh, okay. So usually if I were to take something current and be like, I don't know why this is coming up for me, why I'm so anxious about this, then I'll work backwards and I'll see something from childhood and it'll be a memory I need to process there. Wow. When I process that, I get a better perspective on what's going on right now. It is, but I mean like it, uh, the therapist that you worked with, did they go to like a metaphorical, like, like it's in this room or shit like that? You, no, you know what I mean? No, like, it's, no, it's a really interesting process because so much of it is you doing the work versus okay. the therapist. The therapist will give you some safe spaces if they feel like you're going over the edge on a traumatic memory. So you kind of create like, okay, let's, let's think of a space where you're alone, but you're very comfortable and happy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's what I've heard before is like this. It's it's so interesting to me to like you're it feels like you're in like an escape room of <laughs> trauma. It sounds like yeah to me because that's that's, so that's somewhere you go if you're getting too triggered okay. from processing because I think you have to be at a certain place mentally to even start EMDR or be interested in doing EMDR yeah because you could dig up some stuff that could upset you for a while if you're not prepared to face it yeah. Or, I mean, uh, when I was in treatment, I had, so they make you see therapists and things, especially if you have like dual diagnosis and stuff like that. Um, and so I had been diagnosed with like de depressive, uh, I forget exactly how it was worded, but like nothing like solid. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't on any me real medications for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and this guy like started asking about my childhood and if anything traumatic had happened and like, I don't think so. And there was this one thing that kept popping in my head and I was like, I don't know if it's traumatic or not. I just know that it never goes away. Yeah. And so like, yeah. yeah. And so he was like, well, let's talk through that. And I ended up having a fucking full blown panic attack. And See, yeah. And then I, yeah. So they had, somebody had to bring a wheelchair over and then I got wheeled back to my unit because I was like, I don't fucking know how to process That's whether scary. that was bad or not. <laughs> yeah. Your body just tells you sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been surprised by things that come up that I didn't have conscious awareness of that I'll see in EMDR. I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that happening. So it's a bizarre experience. In that ha way. Have you ever had where... You you don't realize that something is abnormal until it comes up in conversation, like casually. So many times. <laughs> oh my goodness! Because as a again as a kid, you think your life is the norm. Yeah. And then when you grow up, you're like, oh, I guess not. <laughs> like you guys didn't have a homeless person that you walked by on the way to school every day. Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. That's <laughs> really normal. You weren't that homeless person. <laughs> Oh shit! Was I walking by you guys yeah, on the way it to was school? Us. Oh my god! <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it's that that EMDR. Hopefully, within the next uh, like three weeks or so, having somebody who does EMDR on the show. So Sweet, super psyched. Um, but okay, so you find so you. How old were you when you got diagnosed? 
It was probably five years ago. So how old am I? 30, 25, 26. Okay. Yeah. And what prompted you to even go through with something like that? To go through with EMDR or Uh, getting the diagnosis? Getting diagnosis. It was, I think, when I tried to live a normal life or like do normal things in life. And I just felt like I was running into roadblocks. Mm. And it was more when I started to realize, okay, like I would look at the list of trauma and be like, I need help. You know, I I started to get sad about it, and so I had never wh- experienced that sadness before. Why are before. you making lists of? Or are you? No, taking, I was researching. Okay, right, yeah, right. yeah. Ah, okay, this is what happened. I got hurt from a running injury, mm. and then when I couldn't like escape from, everything, oh, yeah, that's when I had you to. You literally couldn't run away. I from couldn't it run away from my problems <laughs> anymore. That's where I say it's like it was like an addiction. Yeah, yeah. It it. Yeah, that stuff helps bury things so well. Yeah, thank goodness for that knee injury. <laughs> but okay, so you're doing research because it's hard to come like to a normal level for you. Yeah, I would just I was like, ah, uh, I had the anxiety that I started to recognize, like, oh, this is not normal. People don't have this kind of anxiety, and then I was starting to. I say like, oh, I want a relationship with my dad and I probably need distance from my mom. And it was just started to be a lot to try to do on my own. So, and I think maybe it was more of a depressive episode that never really got diagnosed, but I, mm. I just from not being able to work out, I think too, it's just like, okay, I need to do something different. Well, that, that, um, I forget what it's called, but when you have a lack of serotonin for so long, like if you're maxing out your serotonin levels for a long time and then it just drops off. Your body um, freaks out. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely withdrawal. I always talk about it as like, body's like, where's the fucking happy juice? Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Um, It was both a bad and amazing time, if that makes sense. Because it, Took me to a low enough place where I had to make a lot of changes. Wow. And then, so, in, you said you had done some improv or went to, a, went to school? What was the... I took some courses at Huge, so that's how I got into What it. is Huge? Huge Theater. It's this tiny theater in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you meet any comics there? There's not a ton of crossover between stand-up and improv. Unbelievable. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. There's. I think I. <laughs> there's another improviser who does stand up regularly. Uh, Jeremiah Watkins. I was gonna say MJ. MJ. Do you know MJ? He's an awesome guy. May- oh, you're talking a local guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh you're talking big names. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So Jeremiah Watkins is a guy that like so clearly was big improv guy in the way that he does stand up. Yeah. Um. He even created a circuit where. Uh, what the fuck does he call it? I forget what it's called, but it's a show where the nobody has a plan set, and it is all comics. So, oh yeah, I've seen that. That's like what Sydney ch- runs at uh, Mortimer's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the made up set list thing. Oh oh, is that it? 
or is it a little different? The well, so there's one in Canada where comics will show up and then this something pops up on this screen and then they have yeah. to create their set list around that. Okay. Whereas this one, um, the one that Jeremiah does, uh, is like a club setting. And uh, somebody from the crowd, they'll take a suggestion and then boom, that's here's your set. Okay, that sounds super fun. That'd be right up my alley. Yeah. On the old podcast that we had, I would do like improvish stuff all the time. I'll have to show you, you know, Clifton uh, T. Parks. I don't think I've met him. Oh, he's gorgeous. Lovable bear. He's the best. If you saw him, actually, I bet you'd recognize him because okay. he, he's helped out with like soundboards and stuff like that. A lot of clubs. But so how did you find huge? I think I was poor. So I was like, <laughs> which place will let me just do like a payment plan or something? OK, so huge was the theater. And that's how I found them. And how long did you do that for? I did that for like three years and then I was in a group and didn't love it. (laughs) So then after leaving that group, I just had in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, you know, at some point in my life, I want to try stand up. So why not now? Because I needed some outlet because improv had been such a good creative outlet for me. Then I was like, I want to see if maybe stand up would be fun for me but i also it was a real possibility to me that i would try it once and be like nah not for me Mm. so i just went into it with that thinking didn't do any research on the scene at all (laughs) just showed up at acme i was gonna say you gotta acme yeah some terrible jokes (laughs) but i got a couple laughs and that hooked me so i loved it it's so funny acme kind of broke me for a few months because I had been doing mics before I went there. And then I, I think I'd only been doing stand-up maybe a year Okay, when I, when I went there. And it went so, the crowds are so good. Like, people don't realize, like, there are certain crowds that, like, they are there for you. They are rooting for you. They get that it's open mic. We're on your side. Yeah. Unless like you Sisyphus, fucking suck. CCU and Sisyphus, too. So I like it went super well. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. This is incredible," and it didn't go very well for a couple of years after that. But then things changed, yada yada. Um, so you do stand up at Acme. Did you introduce yourself to any other comics or? Yeah, I am pretty extroverted, so I met like probably five or six other Gazoon-tite. comics. That I, I don't know what that was. That was like <laughs> not even a burp. So. I think it was Corey who was like, just burp out loud on podcasts. People love that. And I was like, do they actually? But that was more of like a gurgle. Which Corey are we talking about? Corey Nelson. Okay. Yeah, we, he's the one I just, or we broke up recently. Because we dated for like a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't date comics. That's what people say. (laughs) And it was a bummer because I felt like he hosts an open mic that I love and I've gone to since before we even dated. Yeah. And so I felt like I had to stay away from there, which maybe I didn't, but I think it was good just so we can feel like we're not dating anymore. Mm. So now it'll be like, after this week, we will have not seen each other for like six weeks. And I feel like that's a good amount of time. Sure. To go back to just acquaintances, right? (sighs) But we, I mean, (laughs) as much as people tell you not to do it, we had such a good time. 
See, that's the thing is like, it's so um, like back to that whole, like people not solving their problems. Yeah. If two, so being, having deep connections with another comic who may or may not have underlying mental health issues. Um, it's one uh, thing. I would to, say probably. <laughs> anyway, sorry. To, to see them on like a weekly basis is different from seeing them every night. Yeah. Because eventually that shit's going to come to the surface and you're like, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Yeah. Well, basically, <laughs> I think in any relationship, it's like you're figuring out if your shit's going to add up, you know? And ours didn't, unfortunately, but. So you had to flush it down. Yeah. We had to say, this isn't working. So it was like. We still, we, when we left each other, we were like, we love each other so much. Okay. So we left her really good. And I think going into it. You're such a positive person. I find it hard for anybody to be like, fuck her. Trust me. I, he was mad at me. <laughs> Trust me. I, it's possible. <laughs> I, it took me a long time to learn to get, be okay with people being mad at me. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, again, this is trauma related, but I kept leaving and then coming back to him. And finally he was like, you got to stop. Mm. So that's interesting. So I suppose intimacy has got to be weird. Yeah, and that's that's a huge part of my life where I realized I needed some help. Because <laughs> when I would start to get close to someone, there would be all this trauma reaction that I was like, "That's that seems wrong." Like the the fear of losing them, or what? What does it? Yeah, feel like? yeah, it's a fear of losing them, just because. As a child, I felt like my dad left me and then my mom, if she would get upset, would just drop me off at my dad's or like, you know. Well, and plus your siblings. I mean. Yeah, he was separated from my siblings. Limited time with them, which is a fucking. So frustrating to hear. Like. Yeah. But. it, It sucks to like, it's good and it's. Terrible. Like it's. Is that is that melancholy? Like when there's like a positive, but you don't necessarily feel good about it. I don't know. Maybe it's melancholy. That sounds better and cooler. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> but that 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 bittersweet feeling of like you watch the positivity that's happening with the younger generations now and the like confidence that they have and like being aware of their rights and like all of these things that you're like, why the fuck didn't they teach that in school when I was a kid? Yeah. You know, and, or why didn't my parents understand this? Like my son has a friend who's trans, pansexual, gay, but he's, he never brought it up. Like the only reason that it came up once was because he wanted to have a sleepover with these people. And I was like, boys and girls sleepover. I don't know, man. Cause he's 12. Yeah. And he was like, oh, don't worry. One's ba 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 ba. And it was like, oh, wow. Yeah. So it doesn't phase him at all. That's so cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like to think of that as a kid, having a trans friend when I was 12 would have been fucking crazy. Like, just mind opening, basically. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I mean is like, I'm glad that I've been through the shit that I have and I have that understanding so that my kids know. That like their feelings are valid and all and like doors always open that type of shit like yeah and not just on like a a superficial level like I genuinely can be like okay if this is going on we should do this yeah whereas my parents it was like let's take a couple of days off of school see if there's some medication 
Let's keep it as hidden as possible, <laughs> too. Then let's stuff that shit down, You please. should be really embarrassed of this. <laughs> uh, or, don't, don't tell anyone this is going on. So there, it's a bishop in the Mormon religion? Yeah. So it was like, or let's go to the bishop and talk to him about it, who has zero fucking like genuine experience with anything that you're about to say. Yeah. They're just going to say, well, just pray to the Lord and everything and will be fine. Jesus will take care of it. Yes. Yeah. Which I have since Satan is the one that really wants you to believe in yourself. Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. My, uh, what was I just going to say? Oh, I have this theory that, and maybe it's a well-known thing, but I think that kids just pick up where their parents left off on their process of healing. Mm. I think parents do the best they can sorting their own trauma out, and then kids just have to Pick up wherever they left off. It's like on a broad spectrum, I would say, yeah. But yeah. like, I feel like I've, there's a lot of people who just pass down, like bottling their shit up. Yeah. And maybe they can, maybe they're not <laughs> capable of moving it forward. I yeah. think everybody does as well as they can. But it takes like, if you were to think about like your situation, do you know what your mom's childhood was like? I get a general idea because we did stay with her mom and dad for quite a while. Okay. Her mom was a really bad alcoholic, so. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really easy to miss things when you're an addict. And it's so easy to trick yourself into thinking that everybody else is fine. Mm -hmm. So I'm just dealing with my own shit, Mm -hmm. especially in a family setting. Like, if dad is there, these, the, um, what's that called? The... Atomic family? Like a traditional family? Yeah. I can't remember. Adamantium? Anatomic? Anatomic? No, that's a penis. Wait. I don't know. Sorry, phallus is what I was thinking. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But no, like when when everything looks like it should be normal, it's really easy to go, they don't need me. Let's just stop trying to think of cool words. That'll be our solution. But yeah, it's easy to think that people don't need me when family looks good. Yeah. So whatever your mom was going through, um, it's so easy to just think that. The, and fuck me. The amount of <laughs> parents when we started parenting that were like, kids are just going to be kids. Oh, that's just them being whiny. Oh, that's just this and that. And, and you're like, you didn't acknowledge your children's feelings at all yeah there's so much bad information (laughs) on parenting i think yeah so i'm i'm glad that yeah the uh, i mean generations of trauma that needed to happen for there to be change i guess that's how evolution works right yeah it's a slow build it's not something that happens immediately yeah um but yeah the so i'm i'm this is what i was gonna ask is like i'm glad for the shit that i've been through because it allows me to help others in whatever to whatever degree that is um do you uh, like is there any aspect of you that appreciates what you've been through yes so many yeah yeah i think i'm happy about it because the, a big thing is it doesn't make me content just living the way people expect you to live 
So like I'm no longer, maybe I never would have been, but I think in a large part because of what I've been through, I'm not content just living a cookie cutter lifestyle, yeah. you know, like a, just working a job. E- even if I think about quitting stand up for a little bit or like quitting a creative expressive thing, like even sure. if it were writing or something, I would get depressed probably because I feel I need to be making meaning because of what I went through. Because then it seems like it's worthwhile. If that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, making the best of a bad situation, right? Like, yeah, and because I feel like I can help people in that way. Yes. Yeah. Well, the fact that you're extroverted as well, like in some cases, like it's surprising, but it's motivating too. Like pe- when, how, to whatever degree you let people in, at whatever pace that is. Um, I would imagine the more that they get to know you, it's like, wow, look at you. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> something where I've had a lot of walls up, you know, in the past. And, ah. But like getting more space for my mom has helped me be more open, you know. Yeah. So. I mean, my, my wife went through something similar where her therapist was saying, you need to stop parenting your, your parents. Yeah. Like. Role reversal. Yeah, role so reversal. So traumatic. Yes, absolutely. Because your brain's not even fully developed when you're going through all that shit. Mm-hmm. And so if, you're tra- if your brain is developing and it's being trained that this is what you have to fucking do for who knows how long. Yeah. Like, of course, trauma is going to latch on and you just that, that feeling of like uneasiness. Like when you sit and there's nothing going on and you're like, something's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worst. Can't that's where my... I'm like, okay, am I hungry? Have I been sleeping <laughs> enough? Um, so, I mean, I always um, ask folks if they have uh, advice for um, anybody who's going through something similar to your situation. And I, I guess I would ask in the sense of like kind of that parenting your parents and how... Um, how somebody can break away from that and not feel like they're like abandoning their family. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like that, the um, like getting away from big words without feeling like you're abandoning. No, use a big word if you want to. <laughs> I was just joking. Um, that is it a juxtaposition of like, I need to better myself by getting away from the people that I should be loving. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's contradiction. Contradiction. It feels contradictive, but anyways yeah i think behind a lot of that is guilt so if you can start to understand that the best thing you could do for that person you're trying to help is to live your best life that's when you start to feel freer so i wish i had understood that sooner because my best life was not trying to save her not trying to make her life better but she will be happier ultimately if I'm living a life I want to live and I'm happy and fulfilled because she hated feeling like she was a burden on me too. So I would say try to focus on that, wrap your head around that. And that's that it will not be pleasant. It's a very sad, awful process. <laughs> I can't sugarcoat that at all. It was so uncomfortable, awful, isolating, terrible, but worth it at the same time. So, like, don't be afraid of experiencing some really uncomfortable feelings to get where you need to go. 
Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, what are what's your socials and all of the things? Yeah. Okay. You can add me on Facebook, <laughs> Lauren Rice. Um, you can follow me home after shows. <laughs> Sorry, I've been wanting to test that one out for a while. Um, no, I'm at it's Lauren Rice on Instagram. So I T S L A U R E N R I C E. Very nice of you to spell it out. Yeah, because people are like, okay, so it's Lauren Rice. Oh. So it's Lauren Rice. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Yep, 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 okay. yep. Um, do you have any shows coming up? Are you on any lineups? Yes. Well, when it, when are so you So this will be coming out Tuesday. Okay. So perfect. I am putting together producing hosting my first show ever on Saturday. Hell yeah. The fifteenth or is it the sixteenth? That's the sixteenth. Yes. Of April. Yes. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's right, the day before Easter? Yes. Yeah. My dad mentioned that in a very disappointed voice. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, I should write some Easter jokes. And then he was even more disappointed. So, yeah, the night before Easter, which who's doing anything that night anyway? Yeah, you gotta, the Lord will forgive you in the morning. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that should be fun. It's at Underground Music Cafe. Oh. Have you been? I have not. Okay, right by the Twin Stadium. Oh, oh, okay. And then music starts at seven, and comedy will start at eight. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, hell yeah. Um, yeah, thank you again so much for doing this. Appreciate you. It's nice to meet you in person. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. I don't think we ever have met in person. I think we just met virtually. Yeah. Because I was going to say, I was going to- It's gonna, been all pandemic I was going to go to a show at Sisyphus one time that you were going to be at, but I didn't end up making it. Yeah. So, yeah. Pleasure meeting you. Yeah. <laughs> this has been really fun. I love talking about this kind of thing. Well, Rad, I mean, I would love for you to, to come back if you want to dive into yeah. any more of that stuff. That'd be fucking great. Definitely. Just let me know. Sweet. And to the listeners, be well to yourselves. <laughs>